Yo, guys, wait, welcome to the Ghost Connection, Embrace the Power with Christine Calloway and my boy, Mike G. Yeah, Christine is in the ATL and me and Mike G naturally <laughs> down in Tampa doing our things. Hey, guys, today we're going to talk about several different things. But one thing we're going to talk about we need to bring awareness to was last week was Overdose Awareness Week. Now we're going to talk about, ooh, there we go, Suicide Prevention Week. And so we're going to just, I mean, month, and we're just going to talk about the different things. And Christine is one of those kind of people that are out there reaching out there, trying to make a difference, trying to help people and help them with their coaching and their mental health just to become a better version of themselves. Christina, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I appreciate you both. I guess I can tell my my followers he came through with his promise he was there the last time he said he was gonna have me on so it happened hey, see the conversation we just had earlier you have to throw a little shade that's what i'm talking about you know we're gonna keep it real there's always always Hey, so Christina, you were a, a gymnast and then you were a cheerleader at, and now, you know, I have to kind of bark about this because I'm a Georgia Southern graduate at the it's University okay. I hold it you. of Georgia, the other Georgias, <laughs> <laughs> not Georgia the State. Georgia. <laughs> the Georgia. You know, they say the Ohio State, we say <laughs> the Georgia. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So, so let me ask you a question. What was that journey like going from being a gymnast to a cheerleader at one of the top Division One schools? Because the chances of being a cheerleader at a division one school is kind of hard well it, it really is and the journey to get there was uh, pretty hilarious on my side i thought anyway having been a competitive gymnast all the way through from age six all the way through high school i was even practicing with the georgia gymnastics team as a freshman so in my mind i was going to be a walk-on because they needed a vault specialist and vault was my strongest event so I had kept my skills up and I thought, you know, one of my friends that went to high school with me, she said, will you try out for cheerleading with me? And I thought, sure, why, why not? <laughs> you know, it's so political. I won't, I don't know anyone. I probably won't make it. And it's no big deal. I will still be able to do gymnastics. That was my thought going in. And at the very first tryout, because we, at during that time, we would have to go through three tryouts. And at the very first tryout, Suzanne Yocklin, the gymnastics head coach at that time, was one of the judges. I said, oh, I'm definitely getting cut <laughs> for this one because she wants me on the team. Well, I went through um, I went through that cut. And what was so odd was I didn't know that cheerleading got the following that it did. And especially at Georgia, I didn't know that it was a big deal. I later found out that that wasn't the case. But the hall that we did the tryouts in, it had like an upstairs. So it's kind of like a rotunda. So you could stand upstairs and right. look down on the floor. So when I walked, some of my friends came in and said, oh, my God, Tina, there are so many people out there to see you. And I was like, how do you know they're here to see me? I was like, we all trying out. They're like, no, it's like the entire football team. They are out here um, to see you. And I thought, that is so bizarre. Well, here's the thing. The reason why I didn't try for cheerleading in high school, I was uber shy. I just, the idea of Who you? watching. Yes, I, I know. know. What? My, my, oh, my. They do not believe it. And I promise you, I was like, there is no way that I'm going to get out there and fall on my face or do something ridiculous. So I never did. But I rationalized when I got to Georgia. Oh, I could try out. 80,000 people, 160,000 eyes. They're not all looking at me. It's going to be fine. <laughs> <laughs> They're here to watch the football, which 
side note, that was my reason for trying out. I was like, you mean I can go to the away games and get in the games free and be on the field? What? Definitely. This is a no-brainer here. I'm definitely trying out. So I made it through the cuts and got to the third cut, the final cut, which they do at the G-Day game, the spring game, the inner squad. And usually at halftime, they announce the cheerleaders um, so that they can cheer the second half. Well, they announced the JV squad and my name wasn't called. And I looked at my friend. I was like, you know what? This is kind of embarrassing. Let us just go ahead and leave because, you know, it's okay right. if they don't see us and they won't realize that we tried out. Well, right before the end of the fourth quarter, they start calling out the varsity team. They did the guys first. And the first girl name they called was me. And I just kind of froze. And she was like, girl, they just called your name. I was like, wait, what? <laughs> so I went down there. My mom was there, too, making a big whole scene. It was Hey, that's, hey, that's what they do. That's what they oh, do. I'm in college. Come on. I'm about to be a sophomore in college. I'm going to need you not to do that, mom. But anyway, so that was my journey to get there. And uh, it was it was really powerful. Uh, what I later did find out was because at each tryout, more and more uh, football players heard about me and they were like, you've got to go see this, this black girl. Like she is amazing. She's great tumbler. And, um, and you got to remember, so a lot of people don't realize it was like the 1980s. So they don't realize yeah. that that's the one part of the story that's real important. Cause now everybody looks and they go, oh, okay, but no guys, this is the eighties. So it's, this no. is, it's, 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 it's historical. Right. It historical. Um, it was actually the year was 85. And at that time, Georgia had had only, in its history of having a cheerleading program, had only had four cheerleaders, period. That were Wow. Black. Yes. So it was historical. But what I later did find out was that the football players um, just appreciated the fact that they had representation. That was a big, big thing for them, that they, um, you know, had that representation on the sideline. And I enjoyed it. I mean, I learned a lot of life lessons um some that i'm still holding on to some that i um have you know done better um and so yeah it it was a it was a great fun experience and one that i you know looking back on it i i i kind of wish i would have done the gymnastics because that's just my first love um and for me cheerleading wasn't super hard it was just away from me to get but you were a trailblazer i mean yeah when you, you think about it it may seem trivial to a lot of people but right. it's the small wins that open doors for me so many others and i even like when i made general i didn't you know i didn't realize the pressure and and everything that came with it until someone that had never seen someone like me in that position and they said mm -hmm. i want to thank you because you're the first person i met in that position mm -hmm. so you know when you become a, like a role model it propelled you yeah into a whole different perspective of life because people started looking at you in a different light. Maybe the football players were looking at you and saying, yeah, we got representation, but mm -hmm. you probably made a lot of people on campus that you never knew or proud the fact yes. that you were down on that field. It was. Um, and it, it, I tell you the other thing that I did too was it helped my teammates to understand what it was like to be black during that time. I was the youngest one on the squad. And um, so whenever we would travel, the other ones were of age where they could go out, but I had to stay back with the advisor. <laughs> I started college when I was 17. And so um, they, but I do remember a couple of places that we went and um, we, I got spit on um, as we were driving to the stadium and we would get into the sea of people at one place, um, they were rocking the van that we were in. 
um, these were the fans. They were rocking. The, and, you know, so I heard I heard the N-word often. Uh, my partner, he got, my cheer partner got a lot of issues from his fraternity brothers um, because he was assigned the black cheerleader. And so for them to come to my defense and um, protect me during that time was greatly appreciated. And to your point of being a trailblazer, when I look back on my life right now, um, it's something that has followed my entire family. My dad was a trailblazer um, in many instances. He took on a, an entire company. Um, form, it was uh, Westinghouse at the time. Yes, and I know he, it. That's back in the day. Yes, he sued them for discrimination. And wow. Won. And so, as anybody knows, when you go up against a big machine that has deep pockets, it is not um, a quick thing. It happened for years and it impacted our lives. Like 10 years at least. We had to be very careful about, you know, where we would go. Our dog got poisoned. You know, we would just get, it was, it was, you know, but as a young child going through that, um, it definitely built some character in me that I can do hard things no matter how hard they are, how difficult they are, I can do hard things and don't let oppression stop you from doing those things. So, you know, going, being a gymnast, every meet that I would go to, I was, I was the only black. And um, I remember the first neighborhood that we moved into, we were the only black family. So it was just kind of like, there's this expectation of being this trailblazer of um, just because somebody has to be, it has to be the first time for someone and someone has to do it and not everybody's willing to grab that assignment and embrace it and, you know, move forward with it. All right. You know, and, and the reason I think I've gotten through so much and I love that how you just frame that because, you know, being a trailblazer and having to set standards before we get into talking about what you do on, on the, your professional side is that I always had to remind myself and I always reflect back to the lady in uh, Little Rock, the girl that picture of everybody screaming at her. So anytime my students are talking about stress or like their lives are miserable and this and this, I put her picture up in my classroom on the on the screen and they all go, mm -hmm. why do you always show this? I said, if you think you're having a bad day, this is a bad mm. day. I said, and she set the standard and made the difference. So I said, I appreciate everything you've done. And I do, I know right now that you're, you're helping Fisk. Yeah. So uh, what can you tell us a little bit about what, what you're doing at Fisk yeah. University? So everybody is, uh, everybody around the world is aware of the fact that Fisk University, which is an historically black college um, and university, it is the first one to bring in a gymnastics team and yes definitely props for that because what i can tell you is as a as a gymnast as a black gymnast growing up the thought of being able to do gymnastics or continue my gymnastics at an all-black institution it would have meant the world to me and for these young ladies these 16 young ladies who are the trailblazers for this. It is phenomenal. And I actually know the head coach, um, Kareem Tarver, and she was a gymnast at UGA. She was the first black gymnast at UGA. Oh, um, yeah. I didn't, because I didn't go that route. Um, she was the first one. So she is not only the head gymnastics coach at Fisk, she is also the athletic director, which is huge. Let's just talk about it being a female that is an athletic director because their numbers as far as female athletic directors um, is very small. small. Yeah, she's like, she's, yeah, she's uh, 
Definitely an icon. <laughs> Definitely an icon. And so um, I did Brown Girls Do Gymnastics, which is a nonprofit organization um, that helps black youth through with acrobatics, tumbling, gymnastics. They were the ones that spearheaded the, um, I guess what you would say, the petition for HBCUs to bring in. So they were very instrumental in terms of bringing gymnastics to Fisk. And they had a conference this past July where they asked me to come and do a couple of workshops with the parents and also with the athletes. And even though this particular workshop was not, um, FIST didn't have anything to do with it per se, because it was a Brown Girls Do Gymnastics one, it was housed at Fisk University. Which is great. Being, it was awesome. I mean, so awesome because the the athletes got to interact with those 16 young ladies that are on the gymnastics team and just to see their eyes get so big and be able to look up to someone that looks like them. And it was just so inspiring. And so we did a panel discussion at the end of the conference and one person stood up in the audience and said, well, where where is everyone on mental health and sports? And of course, that was right down my alley. And I, you know, shared with them what I do, that I am a right. performance and mindset coach for athletes, parents, coaches, and organizations, and that I was in negotiations with becoming a performance and mindset coach for an acrobat and tumbling team here in Georgia at, at, um, at a small college in Georgia um, at Emmanuel College. And so um, Corinne stood up and said, and I want her here. So I need you all to fundraise. That was in July, and by August, we had done all the negotiations, and she, um, you know, has, has brought me on as their, as the gymnastics team's um, performance and mindset coach, and then starting at the beginning of next year, the opportunity to work with this volleyball team and the women's basketball team, so it's pretty exciting because so, those young ladies have a lot of pressure on them, um, not just doing gymnastics as if that wasn't enough um but everyone's their eyes are on them and this their success and just helping them to um facilitate the conversation that would help them to be able to perform under that kind of pressure because that is a lot of pressure yeah so let me ask you this real quick so you you've, you've already watched uh several sports athletes top athletes catch living hell because they have said, hey, I need to step away. And we know what kind of yeah. irritated me is because some of them are, are people of color. And mm -hmm. because they got to such the pinnacle of their careers already mm -hmm. at a young age, the amount of negativity given to some of these black females that literally said, look, I need a mental health day. You know, even Serena kind of stepped back, stepped back a little bit and said, hey, I need to just take a moment. I just had a chat. I need to take a moment. And, you know, and just and she's 40 years old now, you know. The rhetoric that we've watched some of these tennis players and some of these other female athletes when they want to just step away from the game mm -hmm. and the ridicule to get, is it is it just that our society needs to wake the hell up and figure out that, you know what, hey, you know, everybody's human and there are some parameters that at some point people actually get burned out or people have to take a moment because in the military, post-traumatic stress, it happens all the time and, you know, big boys oh, yeah. don't cry. And, mm. and the issue we have is then we, we amplify it to suicide. So I really respect anybody that needs to take a break mentally and step away. So, you know, what's your thoughts on just seeing the stress that's put on women today, corporate. And I, I'll say this, even going into corporate America, be mm -hmm. careful what you wish for, mm -hmm. because when you get it, you don't see the second, third order effects of everything that comes with it. Absolutely. That's so true. I actually was listening to someone today talk about an experience that they had where they heard 
someone else um, say a lot of times we'll ask God for um, a promotion or a blessing and that sort of thing. And, and our dream doesn't seem like it's coming, coming alive. Like, and, I, and it was Sherry Shepard. She was being interviewed and she said that her pastor said, God is not going to elevate you or allow that dream to happen until you are in a position where you can manage it. And so sometimes we think our dreams are being delayed or maybe we're on the wrong track because it's not happening like we want it to. But in actuality, we have to grow into the dream. We have to grow into the character of the dream. We have to grow into the expectations of the dream. To your point of uh, female athletes, black female athletes, black female execs, because I have worked with high performing execs as well. Um, and why that is that that it, it's not allowed for them. Um, this is a whole nother show that we could do, but it stems <laughs> back to it just stems back to that um, that time and period where black women were used for everyone. And if they had anything left over, which they usually did not, they would give that to their families. But they themselves were not even on the radar. Like some people say, oh, they were last. It would have been a gift to be last. They weren't even on the radar for themselves. But the expectation is um, they need to be everything to everyone and do it a hundred times greater than that. I was so proud of Simone back in the Tokyo Olympics when she was going through the twisties and she just said, enough, I'm not doing it. Right. I don't care if my entire country has this expectation of me. I can die. I don't know where I am in the middle of the air. And while it does it to the untrained eye, it didn't look like she didn't know where she was. Um, but immediately when she did that last vault before she came down and said no more, I said, oh, my God, she has no idea where she is in the air. And being a gymnast, I felt that feeling. You don't know. The only thing that I can maybe equate it to is um, someone in a simulator um, for flying and they have, they don't have their controls. They don't know the ground from the cloud. It's called losing the horizon. And yes. once you lose the horizon, you don't know if you're up or down. Or right. down. You have no idea. Your kinesthetics go wacko jacko. I mean, they are just all over the place. And that's what the twisties is like. It's like I'm in the air, but is the ground above me or below me? Like I have no right. idea. And when you're performing skills that are named after you, that means that no one else in the world can do them but you. Yeah, you do get to call a time, not just even a time out, but I'm not doing this. I don't care. You can't talk me out of it. I've got so much. And what they didn't even, no one wanted to take into consideration. She had just come through or she was in the process of going through dealing with all the trauma from the Larry Nasser, from the sexual abuse that had taken place. In her right. Life. Cause they had been in the trials. They've been in the trials for almost two years Absolutely. and having to relive that. And, and, yeah. and people were, you know, everybody just kind of, Oh, it doesn't matter. No, it does matter. You know, it matters. it's traumatic for what the, those women went through. And it's sad that it went on so long. It did. And, and, and we as humans have this, this knack, um, where we hit the override button. It's like our body sends us a signal, no more, you need a break, you need to stop. Mentally, I can't do it. And we're like, you don't know what you're talking about. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rep out one more set. And it's like you rep out that one more set and you rip something and you're like, the body was like, see, I told you, 
You're not listening to me. Um, and just there, right. there comes a point in time in the mind where the mind is the strongest organ in our body. And it says, I'm not going to let you hit this override button anymore. I'm going to shut it down. I'm going to shut everything down. Things that you used to do with ease. You're, you're going to struggle. You're not even gonna be able to do those because I, you don't have enough sense right now to protect your, you. And so when it gets that, that deep in mental health, cause I can tell you from my own personal experience, um, having attempted suicide that when you got to the point where you were ready to carry it out, there have been so much going on and you've dealt with so much for so long. You are exhausted. You don't see another way out. You're definitely not thinking clearly. You're not doing, you're not choosing death by suicide because you want to hurt others. The, the worst thing that someone can say about an individual who has chosen death by suicide and actually carries it out is the fact that they were selfish. Let me tell you, as a person who contemplated it, um, prepared to do it, I thought that I, was I would be relieving the burden from those who loved me because they were constantly trying to keep me lifted, trying to you know keep me spun out of that right. dark space. And so I just, if your audience can grab anything about this with this being National Suicide Prevention Month, Take that and also let's change the language from committed an individual committed suicide because that comes with a negative stigmatism. Um, that back when the word suicide first came out, it was a crime, and we have had a very difficult time letting that go. It is not a crime, it is so you choose the words death by suicide because it is the choice that they ultimately ended up filling that that was all that was available to them. Right. You know, and you make a great point because I have family members uh, commit suicide. I have family members, even after being in the military and being around so many people going through so many dark times and, and, and people don't realize that even if you're in depression, uh, that dark cloud of like, man, there's no way out of all this. And, and, and it's so weird as now I look at my life now, cause I've been in dark places, <laughs> trust me, after 30 years in the military, I definitely. you've seen some bad stuff, you know, you, definitely. You, once you, once I came out of it and it's weird now that I step back, I look at everything I have now, but I, I will tell people all the time when they see me being happy and everything, I said, you don't realize the struggle of uh, where I've been you know, yeah. into where I've gotten to. And so yeah. I appreciate you sharing that because I don't, I think people just take everyone for granted mm -hmm. and because and you're happy because I think once I got out of my dark place, I was happy for the fact that I was able to get out of it, but I appreciated everything around me a lot more. Absolutely. Definitely. Definitely appreciating it um, more and taking for me, what I did was I took it and said, now, how can I help others? Because I don't want to live my life from just a inward perspective. I made it. Good luck. I'll make it on your own. There were, there were lots of integral people that were involved and that helped me during that time. Awesome. And without them, you know, I would not have been able to do it. And so like we were talking earlier about some of the uh, high profile women who have chosen death by suicide and the pressure to perform, the pressure to meet expectations that some people may feel are unrealistic. But I want people to stop and think what those same expectations are, are those same expectations put on our counterparts. 
Right. And in many instances, it is not. Um, and we have to make sure that we are doing the things. Don't wait and get permission to take your mental health days and however long that takes. You deserve that. You've got to give that to yourself. And I always equate it to being on an airplane and them giving you the instruction in the event that this plane loses pressure, right. Right. your mask will fall down. You put yours on first and then you assist someone else. And that analogy, I think gets, because it gets overused a lot that people don't understand the significance of that. When you're in high altitudes, it's very difficult to breathe. And when it's decreasing at a rapid rate, it literally squeezes your lungs to where you can't. And with everything else that's going on with um, your adrenaline flowing, because you don't know what's going to happen when the plane or if the plane, you know, crashes. So you're not thinking straight. You need to be able to breathe, to get oxygen to your brain so that you can do that um, trauma response, which is flight. We want to get out of there. Um, and a lot of times with the mental health and the athletes that I'm, that I've worked with over the many years that I've been working with them, um, they go through that trauma response of freezing. So people are very familiar, familiar with fight and flight. Right. Freeze is the one where your, your body's, your mind's like, you're not going to keep overriding me. This is not safe. You're not safe, but you don't know it. So I'm going to freeze you out. And so the athletes get really bummed about it because they're like, but I was just doing this and I, I don't understand why I'm not anymore. Um, so they'll label it as I've got a mental block and that's not, there's a the difference case. between a performance block and a mental block. Um, and a performance block, you can figure it out, put your, just back, dial things back, put yourself in a safe situation where your body feels like, okay, I can handle this and then gradually come forward out of that. A mental block is where there are obstructions to you being able to move forward. And it is identifying those obstructions and removing them. Whereas with performance block, it's usually that you have start, started going too rapidly and you're moving at a rapid pace where you, you aren't ready yet in a safe way. Um, and then there's a fourth trauma response called fawning. And it's just like what it says. When you think about a fawn, how they just kind of stand there and, you know, they, um, <laughs> look around, right? Yeah. And they just kind of look around or they acquiesce. It's like every, they are in agreement with everything that is said to, for them about them as in terms of what they're supposed to do. They're going to acquiesce in that situation um, to their detriment. So that's fawning. It's like, as long as I keep this individual happy, as long as I'm doing what they're asking me to do, then everything's going to be fine in my life. And that's, that's a, a trauma response. And it is not, that is not um, good for them either. So I just, I'm, I'm, what I'm really thrilled about is the fact that when Simone being on the stage that she was on, put mental health on the map from the perspective of for women, it's okay to take time for yourself. That's right. And as well as for athletes, it's okay to be in charge. Like your performance is your performance. It, no one owns you or your performance. And I think a lot of times, when, especially when it comes to athletes and athletes where people pay to go to watch them perform, people get this misnomer and this misconception of, well, we're paying their salary. That is so <laughs> so narrow-minded oh and so God, and so so twisted. So it, it's kind of like when a woman has to take off for you know oh, yeah. uh, for mental health or or for having you know pregnant or whatever, and then the, and yeah. the guys in the office will go, "Well, she's off again." 
Well, yeah, because you ain't had a baby. You ain't, you, know, you don't have to None take of care that. of the kid when six your wife takes off and you're at work. You know, there's just the hypocrisy of the of the system kills me sometimes. Yes, definitely. And I'm really glad that a lot more, a lot of organizations are doing paternity leave for fathers and encouraging them to be there with their families and going through that as much as they can. Because to your point, men aren't going to physically experience. They can't physically experience all that's going on with a woman. And but being able to be there through those, you know, first that first month and a half or so, it is vital in terms of the bond that it creates for the family, for the father and the child, and as well as for the, the husband and the wife so that they can, um, you know, there's a new new shift in their relationship and having right. to be able to figure that out, you know, they need that space. So I'm just glad that mental health is taking the aspect that it's taking people are recognizing it's not that taboo word anymore. Like, Oh my gosh, you've right. got, you've got a therapist or you've got a mental coach. It's getting to the point where it's like, Oh, you don't. Hmm. Well, Mike's my therapist. And he doesn't keep me straight. So as we get ready to wind down, yeah. Okay, hey, Christina, when people want to find out where you're at, Mike, throw our website up. Christina, if you, if somebody wants to reach out to you and they hear this and they're like, Oh my God, I want to hire her. I want her to come in and speak at our event. How yeah. do we get her? So Mikey show it. There we go. There you go. So basically go to my website, which you see right here and just schedule that call and we'll work it out. We'll talk it out. Also follow me on all of my social media. I've oh, yeah. it super easy for you all. It's Christina mindset coach on everything, whether it be everything. LinkedIn, whether it be Instagram, Facebook, I'm even on TikTok. It's not that great, but I'll get better. I've got an intern that's opening me with it. Hey, guy, I'm even I don't have her TikTok where we got to get the TikTok. <laughs> It, it looks bad right now. It's okay, though. There's room for growth. I've even um, started um, a Pinterest page because a lot of people look up information and they want, you know, help. So I'm, my um, social media person is helping me to develop that. And it just takes time. And to your point, I'm also still working a full-time job as I grow my business, too. So I'm still, I'm not on the floor coaching gymnastics anymore, but I am directing an entire program. So for the Absolutely. county. So, yeah. Hey, nothing's for free in this world. And they always say, if you were going to shape the world, you got to work the world. So if you had to believe any advice to anyone out there and leave your imprint in history or your fingerprints in the sand, what would you give advice to some young female athletes out there going forward? Oh, that's a really good question. I think whether you're an athlete, non-athlete, your life is only as good as your mindset. You got to take care of it so that you can have a good life. I love it. Ah. <laughs> All right. Hey, Christina, always Miss Calloway. I appreciate you coming. Good I appreciate you. Yeah. And you are, you shape the world and you make a difference <laughs> always. Mike, go ahead, man. I was a great show. Great information. You you on point and it's, it's a lot of, we got to do a part two maybe later on. I would love to come back and do a part two. You know, talk about the podcast life that you're doing. You've been, I remember when you started and now you, you grinding, you grinding. I look back on it now, Mike, and I laugh. I'm like, oh my gosh, look at how bad that was. You gotta start somewhere, I remember. You I do, remember. everybody has a beginning, and you know, we, we learn and we grow from it, and we and it's okay to do hard things. We all can do hard things, and just because something's hard, do not shy away from it. Even if it means partnering with someone to help you to um, like to facilitate that that mindset shift. That's what I do. You don't you don't have to do hard things alone. 
but you can do hard things. We all can. <laughs> Teamwork makes the dream work. Absolutely. All right. And as we always say, Christina, much love to you. Blessed Labor Day weekend and have a good time. And don't want to see you on CNN. As me and Mike always say, keep it rolling. <laughs> Another one.